I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark and Mark here to wrap up the 17th and final race of the 2020 Formula One World Championship. And I can see that just by our, our wardrobe choices tonight, Mark, we're representing <laughs> the protagonists, like the, the, the podium in today's race. I got the Red Bull t-shirt on, you got the Lewis Hamilton uh, Brazil. That, that's a sharp looking cap. I like that. I'm so I, I should have jumped on that one when I had the opportunity. But, you know, it's funny after it's been all said and done in such a weird season and something that, that only got started in this first weekend of July, it seems like it's kind of rocketed along. And, uh, well, not like I have any say in the matter, but I'm not ready for the season to be over. But it was a bit of an anti-climax to what's been, you know, a pretty good season in a season that we honestly didn't expect was going to happen at all at some point. You know, we we were both wrong because we we both had a prediction at the conclusion of the most recent podcast, and we both thought that this was going to be a race that uh, Hamilton would win and probably win quite handedly. And as it turns out, that wasn't the case at all. In fact, uh, we'll, we'll obviously get into Max's performance from qualifying right through to the conclusion of the race. But I, I was kind of curious as to what the last five or six years looked like at Abu Dhabi at Yas Marina. And Mercedes had won every single race at this track since the introduction of the 1.6 liter V6 turbo hybrid engines. Um, Hamilton's won four of those. He's won five total because he won a race there with Mercedes or with McLaren. Um, Bottas won a race. Rosberg won a race. But this was a really strong streak by Mercedes that Max was able to to snap, which was which was also ultimately nice to see. And you know he he took away some of that delta between he and Bottas. And fortunately for Bottas, he had a, a fairly successful conclusion to the season, although he wasn't necessarily very close to Max. But but yeah, it was a, it was a conclusion. I, I, it wasn't a particularly exciting conclusion, but it certainly <laughs> puts the icing on what was, and you, I think you and I have talked about this so much over the past couple of weeks, what was really a, a solid a, a solid campaign for Formula One, given everything that was going on in the world, I was immensely satisfied. And I think maybe the only difference is, I think is as much as you're hungry for more Formula One, I'm hungry for the off season. For me, like the, the silly season and the business side of the sport is just about as compelling as watching what happens on the track. And well, we'll certainly get into this, but when you consider the the immense driver changes that we're going to see in the off season this year. Like I I'm excited to put this season behind us uh, and start getting ready for Melbourne back uh, in March, because it's going to be a, it's going to be a really, really, really exciting 2021 campaign. You know, it's funny. I, I don't know if uh, I just had a, a complete misconception in my mind. If I sort of rewinded a year, uh, you know, almost a year to the day when we kind of looked at the drivers that were out of contract at the end of 2020 at uh, Lewis Hamilton, Bottas, uh, Charles, Charles, uh, Seb, all these uh, guys, and Max, and all, all the, the the drivers in the top teams, 
and I guess from there that must have influenced my 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 perception of the rest of the, uh, the you know the other you know seven teams on the grid that it was once you get those guys under contract it was all and we all expected them to stay where they were I just had this like like I say this you know this concept in my mind that the rest of the grid was already set in stone but I mean obviously that's not the case and a lot of things have really kind of snowballed I mean it all really started when uh, Vettel wasn't confirmed was confirmed as not returning to Ferrari for 2021 you had science moving you had Ricardo moving and all these things kind of like steamrolling and snowballing along and like you say it still isn't done we, we still don't know what's going to happen with Sergio Perez we don't know what's going to happen to Alex Albon we don't know what's going to happen to Danny Kvyat although that's not not a major one I mean everybody's going to be looking at <laughs> that second Red Bull to, to see what what's going to happen I mean as much as that uh, Vettel to Aston Martin seemed to be a bit of a, a, a foregone uh, conclusion it almost seemed like it was destined to happen it, it almost has the same sort of feeling now the guy that lost his seat to Sebastian Vettel is going to be the guy that takes you know, the seat at Red Bull because you know that uh, the, you know that that conversation about Perez replacing Albon at Red Bull I mean that's been out for a couple several weeks now I mean we've talked about it on the weekly show quite a bit over the past uh, couple of weeks and it almost has that that same feeling as it did when the roles were reversed and he looked like the, he was the the, the odd man out at uh, at racing point but i mean there is a lot of interesting stories to 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 go over or that are going to unfold in the weeks and months uh, ahead but you know just to pick up on a couple of points there um Yes, the, the the fact that they got the season done, and this is a stat that blew my mind that I came across over the season. So we had Lewis Hamilton come back, obviously finished third, and I should say we did predict the podium or the results, and I think we did try and preface it. It really depended whether or not Lewis mm. was going to be a hundred percent after his uh, recent uh, illness uh, with uh, with COVID. Fortunately, it was uh, you know. Obviously mild, but uh, you know, obviously it, uh, and he said so itself. It really affected him uh, quite a, a bit because you could tell he wasn't really on his A game. You, you could just tell, and I, I kept asking myself during the course of the race that. I was really impressed with the way that, uh, that that Max drove, not just during the race, but through the entire uh, w- weekend. I mean, uh, from the wonderful qualifying performance to grab pole position. But I just couldn't get rid of that nagging thought throughout the race that if, if Lewis was 100%, would it have been the, the, the same way or would it have been you know, would have been switched around, would have been Lewis, then Max, and then Bottas. I mean, ultimately, it's just a speculation. We'll never really know. It doesn't really have the, you know, it doesn't really mean much anyways. I mean, Max is the the, the fastest and the best driver on the day, but it was, it was, it was pretty quiet up front. I mean, uh, that the action we did see was uh, further down the racing order in the middle of the pack, which you might expect, but it, uh, yeah, it wasn't a stellar race out of the entire season, was it? Yeah, and I think the one thing I would caution as well, and and I'm happy for Max. He had a great weekend, but even he had speculated to the the reporters this weekend that it was possible that Mercedes had had turned down, had intentionally turned down their power units for this race, and ultimately Mercedes came forward and admitted that for reliability purposes they absolutely had turned down their engines. So, you know, I, I think they were at the point in the season where they wrapped up the driver's title, they wrapped up the constructor's title, they just wanted to bring the cars home safely, and I think they they did enough to do so. Um, but I, I think the caution would be that as 
much of a gap as there was between Verstappen and those Mercedes cars that maybe some of that was a little bit artificial, but yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. This, the, the weekend was uneventful. The race was uneventful. And, you know, people have been criticizing this track since the beginning of time. And I don't, I don't criticize the race organizers. And I was thinking about this earlier today. I, I really don't criticize the race organizers. I, I don't criticize Yas Marina. I don't criticize Abu Dhabi. Like ultimately when they were bidding for an race and it was announced in 2007, um, this track and the track design and the track designer was really, were really imposed upon them by, by the FIA and formula one. So they didn't really have a choice of track. It's just, it's just such a anticlimactic way to end the season. And I think what we've seen over the last four or five years is short of 2014, when the title was decided at Yoss, um, in 2016, when the title was decided at Yoss, it's really such an anticlimactic finish. The track is, it looks beautiful on TV. It's surface beautiful. It's super, super grippy. Um, but ultimately it's just not engineered to produce and to nurture compelling competitive racing. And I think that's ultimately what we saw this weekend. So kudos to, to Max. You know what? Um, he, he managed to secure pole. He had a great qualifying session. Um, he managed to win the race that was never really in doubt, but I also don't believe that either of those Mercedes were pushing particularly hard. And as noted that the engines were intentionally turned down for reliability purposes. So yeah, it's just, it's not a great way to wrap up the season, especially after a couple of really exciting races preceding this one in, in Bahrain. So yeah, it, it is what it is. I And I just think too, like I would love for Formula One and, and Liberty and the FIA to find some ways to inject some excitement into this race. But ultimately, I don't know what the financial incentive to do so would be. But yeah, it's just, it's not a great way to wrap up the, the season, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, when it comes from a gaming point of view, it actually, it is a very fun game to play when you're playing like the F1 video game, sorry, a fun track to, 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 to race on. But I mean, the one term that was thrown out there quite a few times during the commentary on Sky Sports today was DRS train. And you have that very, yeah. very yeah. long straightaway. And I mean, it just, it, it lends to that kind of uh, racing. And I mean, you get all these guys, they're all within a second of each other. I mean, they, they've got the DRS, they're not really, you know, gaining on one another and and they get to some of the you know the the twistier technical parts of the track, and you know they're just all kind of hanging on. And we see some of the you know passing uh, when the you know the cars get mixed up because of the, the 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 pit stops. I mean, we saw the Ferraris as high as what about P seven and eight at one point, yeah. and then after the, you know, the 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 cars that had pitted, you know they 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 slowly started filtering back through the running order, which you uh, w- would expect. And I mean, you know, you had Charles and Seb racing pretty close with one another. And they weren't going to gain on, on, on either one for, for that very reason. I mean, at the end of the race, I mean, they ended in 13 and 14th, which is, um, you know, that, that still just shocks me that, uh, that you would see a Ferrari, you know, d- down there so low. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it is a track that despite, you know, we, when you look at the layout of it, you would expect with, uh, you know, the long straightaway and the corner and the twisty bits and stuff like that would lend to better racing. But, uh, sadly, it, it, it doesn't. And I mean, from, from a championship point of view, this race didn't really mean anything anyways. What with the constructors and drivers being wrapped Great up point. about weeks Great ago? Point. 
But, uh, you know, and we've talked about it quite a bit, uh, you know, over the past uh, several weeks that, uh, you know, Valtteri Bottas is a real good teammate. He's a real good team guy for Mercedes. And I think regardless of what was going to happen today, I think that Lewis was going to play second fiddle. So as much as that, uh, you know, he was affected by his recent, uh, uh, you know, bout uh, with with COVID, even in its uh, mild form, I think he would have sat back uh, just uh, depending on what the, uh, you know, how the situation on the track played. Out. If he had to run interference between himself and uh, uh, Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen and kind of be that uh, buffer between uh, Bottas and Max, he would have done that. And I think that uh, just uh, because that, uh, you know, th- those two were fighting for second in the in the driver's championship, I think that uh, unless something dire happened, uh, I think that Lewis would have just uh, sat back there and, and just content in third place. I mean, he, you know, he didn't really, um, wasn't really challenged by Albon until very late in the race. When, I mean, at that point, uh, Albon was still a couple of seconds behind, unless Lewis had a mechanical failure or his tires went completely and he couldn't keep it on the track anymore. I mean, he was not really under threat. So, yeah, I mean, I think you said uh, said it best that uh, even though that uh, that Max was uh, you know faster on the on the day on the weekend, that you know was a little bit artificial just uh, due to the fact that uh, the Mercedes cars. You know they did have the the engine turned down because of the uh, the reliability issues that uh, they were worried about, and I mean they they said that uh, they they talked about on the commentary as well that uh, that that a lot of these cars and a lot of these engines uh, you know across uh, multiple teams were were, were facing the same uh, issues just getting towards the the end of their lives uh, lifespan, and uh, unfortunately for Sergio Perez that uh, played out to, to be true, and that really was a big big issue. And we'll, we'll jump into that in just a moment as we take a, a quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And we are wrapping up the final race of the season. And before we went to the break uh, just now, Mark, 
we were just uh, starting to have that discussion about what happened with uh, Sergio Perez uh, today, uh, retiring, brought out the safety car, virtual safety car, kind of went through everything before uh, they finally figured out how to get rid of that uh, racing point. But ultimately, that was a huge, huge thing for Racing Point because uh, ultimately it had a huge impact on the uh, the, the World Championship uh, because uh, by the time it was all said and done, it's uh, you know they lost the points that uh, they would have got from uh, uh, from Sergio in the race. So as it uh, turns out, it is McLaren that uh, come home third in the World Championship. And if uh, Racing Point had not been deducted those fifteen points, then they would have taken that third place in the championship. So ultimately, all those rolling protests that we saw from Renault during the middle of the summer, uh, it was almost like a, a weekly thing that, uh, you know, you, you have your race results. And yes, Renault's uh, lodged another complaint about the legality of the car that Racing Point has. And it, it did come down to it. I mean, that 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 huge fine that they got on it, plus the 15 points deducted in the constructors. And it just had to be underlined by that mechanical failure because Lance didn't really finish uh, all that uh, high today and uh, just uh, really really uh, it, it was a diff- disappointing result uh, for them because I mean ultimately they uh, they end up uh, dropping down in the uh, in, in the constructors uh, by a spot in the, the reduction in the prize money I mean uh, you look at it uh, where where did Lance finish so he finished in P10 by the time it was 10. all said and done so really really uh, disappointing uh, for them so I mean we, we saw that this was I think a breakout to season for them and sadly that I, I guess pushing the limits of what they could do with the with the parts that they can and cannot use uh, just came back to, to bite them and that's uh it's a big big financial hit in the fine and the the, the loss and the, the the prize money it was always going to be a long shot and we talked about this last podcast about hey here despite the fact that the championships were settled there were still some things to tune in and watch this weekend and one of them was whether Bottas was going to be able to fend off Max and, and ultimately keep his second place in the, the driver's championship and he was able to successfully do that but what was much more compelling and interesting to me was whether the the Canadian team Racing Point was going to be able to push back against a surging McLaren team um, and keep third place in the championship and I just, I thought so much from a, a narrative perspective, what a phenomenal story that would be that this was a team that was saved from administration two, two and a bit years ago, that it got an immediate influx and injection of capital from Lawrence Stroll and his, uh, his, uh, conglomerate and so many things they've done well. Like I, I just thought it would have been such a great story to see them finish third. And to your point, unfortunately, it was not a good weekend. It was not a good race day. Um, ultimately, Lance finished P10 after getting passed by Ocon on, I think, the last or the second to last corner of the last race to give up that point. They obviously scored just the one point, whereas uh, the McLaren team comes in and they score a fifth and a sixth point. So they leapfrog uh, racing point in the constructors. And I, I think the bigger piece here is one, it just would have been a really great story for racing point and something that they could have built on going into the next season. Like, I don't think they had strong expectations this year that this was really going to be a building year as they build towards becoming that Aston Martin works team, which will ultimately launch during the off season and going into 2021. But I think it would have been an unbelievable story and it would have been a, a real reflection of the work and the energy that that team has done at Silverstone over the last couple of years at their factory. But it was a little bit disappointing. And I, I mean, I'm happy for McLaren. Ultimately, this is a team that has 
really shown some astronomical improvement ever since they severed ties with Honda um, and joined forces with Renault. Although, of course, that partnership's coming to an end this offseason as well, which will be interesting to watch going into 2021. But they obviously desperately need the cash. And, and this was a team that took $150 million uh, pound loan from a Bahraini bank during the early part of calendar 2020. Uh, this is a team that ultimately sold the famous McLaren Technology Center and immediately released it back because they needed that injection of capital. Um, and this is the same team that sold a 15% stake in their motorsports division, even in the last week, because yep. they're so desperate to gain some capital and some equity. So it's it's good for them and, and I'm happy for them. Um, it'll just be really interesting to see how both these teams fare next year, because I can't, I can't believe that Ferrari will, and there's nothing to suggest they're going to be any better, but so much, so many of these points were available this year, simply because Ferrari was responding to the fact that for all intents and purposes, they were caught cheating by the FIA last season. And so much of their performance this year has been a, a byproduct of that. And there's no guarantee these points will be available next year. And both of these teams are going to see driver changes, right? Like um, Sergio Perez, who won that race with uh, Racing Point last weekend, will no longer be with the team. And we'll talk about him in a little bit. And Carlos Sainz will no longer be with McLaren. Although, of course, they're picking up Daniel Ricciardo, which will be a big, big win for them just from a, a professionalism perspective and a, a charismatic perspective but yeah it was it was a little bit disappointing because as a canadian i was rooting for racing point but that was one of the bigger stories this weekend was that mclaren was able to have a, a great race weekend and put both of their drivers in a really good position um, and then i think the other thing for me from this race as well is we've talked so much about alexander albon the last couple of weeks and, and mm. i'll pass it back to you but this was probably one of his better race weekends. Um, and this was a guy who was surging towards the end of the race and putting a little bit of pressure on Hamilton. And some of that could be just the fact that he knows that this could potentially be the last F1 race of his career and he needed to put in the best possible performance um, possible. But but yeah, overall, you know, it, it boring race um, to be totally frank. But I, I think the thing that I was most interested in watching was to see how Racing Point would would uh, race and I just thought their weekend was disappointing and and we talked last weekend as well just about the fact that Racing Point has despite the things that they have done well this season they've really struggled with reliability they've really really struggled with reliability despite having that Mercedes power unit and that's something that they're going to need to solve going to next season you know we talked about the fact that Lance and this wasn't entirely mechanically induced but he had five retirements this year like for for a top team you can't retire your car 30 percent of the time and and even that race weekend and this was a this was a really strong black eye for racing point this year but we had that that event in britain in i think the fourth or fifth race weekend of the year where nico hulkenberg was brought in to race that car in the absence of sergio perez and the team couldn't get the car to to the grid, which is, which is shocking and totally, totally unacceptable at this level. But again, if they could even clear up half of the reliability issues that they had this year, next year, they should be in a really, really strong position. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that uh, you make a really good point about that. Uh, like some of the hiccups and some of the, the, the issues that they've had along the ways, I think it's very indicative of the team that, you know, that you can see that good things are happening. It's starting to come together for them, but they, you, you can still tell that there's, there, there's still some of those tentacles from sort of hanging on to 
maybe uh, you know the the framework they've had to operate in for the past uh, number of years, where there wasn't a lot of cash in there. You could tell that that's kind of handcuffed them to a, a certain degree because you wouldn't expect that. I mean, yeah, five DNFs for 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 Lance. I mean, he's fifty points uh, behind his teammate in the in the drivers' championships. I think Checo had about one hundred and twenty five points, and Lance, if I'm correct, is mid seventies. Uh, yeah, seventy-five that. exactly. Seventy-five, yeah. yeah. So there, my, my math is almost correct. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, he's left a lot of points out on the uh, on the track there, and that is uh, unfortunate. So it is going to be interesting to watch this team because you know they're they're taking this big step forward. I mean, there's a lot of money coming into it now. They've got a new driver in uh, in Sebastian Vettel, the new factory which is uh, being constructed. I mean, they've got all the the, the money from Lawrence Stroll and his uh, consortium uh, flowing into the team. So it's certainly going to be one. To, uh, to 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 watch to, to next year, and it, it is fascinating too because I mean, of course, we're just rolling these cars ahead for another year because we're kind of in this weird in between year where 2021 is basically a continuation of uh, of 2020, and we're basically looking at the same cars that we've seen from 2019 to 2020 to 2021. I mean, very l- limited uh, development, let's uh, put it that way, until we get the, the the new cars on the horizon for for 2022. So. As much as it an opportunity missed, uh, you know, for, for for this season for Racing Point going into next year, I think that uh, you know to to be a kind of a glasses half full guy, if if you're uh, you know a Racing Point fan or you know it, you are the, the the Racing Point team yourself, that you know there are a lot of positives to to, to draw from. You know, you're not going to see this huge uh, big shift in development. I mean, everybody's going to have to use this token system to develop the you know the the components on their car, you know, spare and wisely uh, over the course of the next year. So it's, it's going to be a, a good one to watch. But going back to McLaren, I mean, had you said to me a couple of years ago that they would have uh, finished in, uh, you know, ahead of Ferrari, in third in the Constructors' Championship uh, behind the obvious uh, ones of uh, Red Bull and Mercedes, I, I, I probably would have flat out called you a, a liar before, you know, laughing hysterically because... I mean, a couple of years ago, I mean, they were just in such a bad uh, position when, when you kind of look at the, the, the team where they were then and that it, it just was, it was just bad. You, you just can't classify it or characterize it in any other way. It was just bad. And it was just unfortunate. I mean, they just. I mean, I could see the, the, the logic in partnering up with Honda again, but just the timing was way too soon. I mean, obviously Honda was eager to get into racing because they'd been uh, developing the engines. So who knows? Maybe it was a little bit uh, too uh, optimistic from McLaren side and Honda side probably, but it really was unfortunate. I mean, if you, you dial it back and look at those years with Van Dorn and, uh, and Alonso and just how slow they were, uh, were and uh, how unreliable the engines were and uh, the, the car just wasn't great despite what uh, McLaren uh, the, themselves uh, were saying but I, I think that um, and I've tried to uh, bring it up and, and and mention it but I don't think it gets mentioned up in the mainstream media it's just the I think the great work that Zach Brown has done that uh, you know he did what he needed to do 
uh, initially. And then he slowly but surely appointed key people and key roles and then sort of stepped back. I mean, you still see him in races. You still hear him in the media, but you know, you, you don't hear him overriding Andreas Seidel or, you know, James Key, the, 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 or, you know, any, anybody else. I mean, he's there to do his job, but he's letting his people do what they're supposed to do and what they're paid to do. And you can see that, uh, I mean, they're, they're light years ahead of where they were a couple of years ago. And uh, although I think it's kind of curious that they decided to you know switch away from uh, from Renault, I mean that uh, obviously seems to be working well. But they've uh, decided to switch back to a Mercedes, and well, why wouldn't you want a Mercedes engine in your car if it uh, if it's available? So I mean that you know just in a very superficial. Uh, in a way, I mean, it's a, a bit of a no-brainer, that uh, decision. And certainly that's going to be very, very interesting. And just the whole dynamic of bringing Daniel Ricciardo into that team uh, in the vacancy left by Carlos Sainz is another fascinating storyline because he's kind of made this, uh, you made a backward steps going to Renault. But Renault, they, I mean they kind of missed out. I mean, they ended up fifth in the championship uh, by, by the time it was all said and done. But having said that, I can't help but feel that this was a bit of an improvement on this year. I mean, uh, Abita Bull was saying before the season got started that he wasn't really expecting too much. And, uh, you know, they're really looking towards uh, 2022. But uh, th- that notwithstanding, I still think it was a fairly productive year from them. I mean, of course, uh, most of the points, the majority of the points came from uh, Danny Ricardo, finished up fifth in the championship championship with 119 points as a teammate Esteban Ocon. Yeah, I mean he he was back there 12th with uh, only half the points that uh, that that Danny Rick had. Uh, you know, he only had 62 by the time it was all said and done. And you could tell that maybe that year out of Formula 1 as reserve driver at uh, Mercedes kind of hurt um, uh Ocon. I mean, I'm sure he learned a lot, uh, you know, being in that environment at uh, Mercedes, but just the fact that he wasn't in that car each and every weekend and just uh, missing out on those whatever we had last year, 22 races or whatever it was, I think did set him back a a little bit, but we've seen a little bit more from him. So I think uh, just uh, if he'd been able to score a little bit better and and, and finish a little bit better, obviously, (laughs) therefore, he would have uh, had more points in the driver's championship and that would have been uh, reflected on the constructor's side. But uh, I I think there's been some positive signs and it is going to be interesting to watch because now you're bringing in a a very flamboyant, a very outswell, maybe maybe outspoken is better than flamboyant uh you know opinionated driver in fernando alonso maintains he can still race at the age of uh, 40 and i don't discount that i mean um, athletes today and drivers uh, today it's a far different story than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago and um, I, I mean fernando is a talented driver but I mean, he has tended to leave uh, a, a, t- a heap of burning wreckage at other places that he's been <laughs> you know, in his career. So not to say that uh, that that was the case when he left uh, Renault. And I mean, that, that, uh, that that's always been there. But I mean, to put it sort of uh, bluntly, he hasn't uh, left uh, some of his previous teams in, in, in the best circumstances. I mean, it didn't end all that badly with the uh, McLaren as say it had it to, or the, the last time, the second time he left McLaren compared to maybe the the, the first time so that's going to be an interesting one to to watch as well and uh you know i i can't wait to get to uh to, to melbourne in just under 100 days from now for the, the the australian grand prix to see how these cars line up and who can do what because you know as we said right off the top of the show there's so many storylines that are going to play out off the track and on the track for 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 next year now that we got this season over and done with i'm kind of like bring it on i don't know how i can be patient over the next three and a half months <laughs> That 
you know, that Acon finish uh, two weekends ago, or I guess last weekend, because the season's been so condensed, was was so important to him, I, I think, yeah. both from a professional perspective and from a psychological perspective. Because you're right, you know, Daniel Ricciardo finishes the season with 119 points. With that P2, Acon finishes with just 62 points. And, you know, had he not had that podium, he would have been at 50 points, maybe 45 points. Um, and that delta would have been huge. And I, I think the challenge for Acon next year is... You talk about Alonso. Alonso introduces an entirely new dynamic to that team. And Akon isn't necessarily a great teammate. He's not a great leader. He's not a great team player. Like he's going to create a pressure cooker environment for that team. And and for Akon's sake, and and I think given his um heritage and given the fact that he has a year with that team now, he's gonna be in a better position than maybe Stoffel Van Dorn was. But I think it's gonna be a, a really, really challenging year for him next year if he can't compete and Alonzo is particularly competitive. Uh, I think the question marks will come fast and furious about whether he has a future with that team. Um and yeah, and you're really right about that Zach Brown piece. And and I credit him not only for steering the Formula One division successfully after their divorce from Honda. Um, but ultimately, you know what, creating a, I, I, I struggle to say marriage or partnership with Renault because it was so short term, but he did enough with that, with that financial arrangement to create a competitive car, knowing that Renault was probably never going to be a long-term partner. And I think Renault was never satisfied with the agreement. And I think there's been a lot of commentary about that in the press. So the fact that they've been competitive with an engine from a team that isn't fully invested in supporting them in the long-term and wasn't necessarily giving them the resources in the paddock and at the factory that they would have gotten if they were buying their engines from a Ferrari or a Mercedes um, is really, really remarkable. And Mm -hmm. you know what? There's obviously going to be some a, a transition costs and some sunk costs during the off season as they get ready to pair the Mercedes engine with a car that fundamentally was designed for a Renault engine. But I I think that I've got the confidence in Zach Brown and his team that they're going to be able to do it. But the other thing that I have to keep recalling as well is Zach Brown's done all of this with the Formula One team while getting an IndyCar team off the ground for a full-time competition in the US. And we'll probably get into this in the off season when we run out of topics to talk about. But (laughs) there's now strong rumors and suggestions that Ferrari is themselves very seriously considering a full-time um, entry into Indy as well, which I think would be incredibly exciting. Um, but but yeah, like from a Mercedes perspective, or from a McLaren perspective, I, I'm very excited for them. Um, I'm super excited to see what Ricardo is going to do there. I think he's a phenomenal teammate. Um, everything I've ever heard from him su- suggests that he's a great partner. He's a great team guy. He's great from the media. He's great from the press. Like, he just brings so much to this team. And Renault has what I think they would want. I think, I think they obviously have a, a really strong history with with uh, Alonso. You know, he won a title with them in 05. He won another title with them in 06. So there's some really strong DNA and some really strong heritage there. I just, I think he creates an atmosphere within the team that they need to be able to be prepared to manage because he's not Daniel Ricardo, who's generally cool and chill and can have a conversation. Alonzo is a very, very, very different personality. And, you know, his first time around with McLaren was a disaster. The second time was, and it's funny because the second, if you compare the two examples, like the first time was so bad, it made the second example not look as bad, but <laughs> relative to other divorces with other teams and other drivers, it was, it was a catastrophic. It was a crater. Uh, like he left that place burning, but but yeah, uh, it'll be something that's very, very interesting. And you know what? Just one other quick note as well, just because I, I was just looking at this right now. But 
Over the past three race weekends, the Ferrari-powered teams have collectively scored one point. (laughs) One point amongst those three teams. Because I was going to make this great point that, hey, you know what? Ferrari themselves have scored one point in the last three race weekends. No, the Ferrari-powered teams themselves have scored one race, one point, which is which is a really an indictment on uh, on uh, that that team. Well, you, you know, it's funny you should mention that. I mean, if you look at the constructors in the, uh, I, I mean, we might as well just run it down quickly. At Mercedes, Re- uh, Red Bull, McLaren, Racing Point, Renault. Then in six, you have Ferrari. Then you have uh, Alpha Tauri uh, in seventh. Then you have Alpha Haas, and then Williams uh, at the bottom. So, in the in the bottom half of the con- constructors this year, you have all three Ferrari powered teams, including the Jeez. works team, which is just shocking. And I mean, the thing is too with Ferrari, they had they scored a combined one hundred and thirty one points. You know, for for Shocking. both uh, Charles Leclerc and and Sebastian Vettel, I mean that that is just uh, absolutely mind blowing. Seb had three podiums. Charles did not get on the podium once uh, this year. Or sorry, it's pardon me, it's the other way around. Other way so, around. Yeah, other way yeah. around. Charles had three podiums. Uh, and Seb did not get on the podium once uh, this year. But I mean that is just mind blowing. But what bl- blows my mind even more. They're 50 points behind Renault in, in the constructors. I mean, that is just, I, I mean, and Renault, the gap to Renault and racing point is only 14 points, which, you know, you, you would expect somewhere in the, in the middle of the field there. It's just that they were slow, but compared to the other teams that they're, you know, they, they should be racing against in the middle of the pack, they're, they're miles behind. And that's what really, really, really blows my mind. And what I, what I said for quite a bit, uh, especially in the first half of the season, that they were close to Williams in terms of pace than they were to uh, Mercedes. And and that just absolutely uh, blows my mind. And I want to pick up on uh, Ferrari just on the other side. I mean, uh, this was uh, Sebastian Vettel's last race uh, with the Scuderia after uh, you know several years with the team. And we'll do so just after a very short break here on the Overtime Media Network. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark and Mark here breaking down the 2020 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. I was almost going to say 2016 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know. That obviously was a fairly dramatic race. And as you so rightly pointed out, it was a race where the championship was, uh, was decided. Uh, and, you know, they, as we, we detailed, uh, in the show earlier, it tends to be fairly, uh, you know, <laughs> not too much action on the track. So, that's probably why I'm like warping back, uh, you know, several years here to 2016. But anyways, before the break, we were talking about, uh, we, we just started to talk about Ferrari and the horrible year that they had. This was uh, Sebastian Vettel's last race uh, for, for Ferrari. And, uh, you know, disappointing. I mean, he finished in, in 14th place. It was just... Um, you know, it, you would just expect to see a lot better from uh, Sebastian Vettel. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's 13th in the, uh, in the, uh, in the championship. I was just, I was incorrect. He did get a podium. He, of course, he got on the podium in, uh, in Turkey a couple of weeks ago. But I mean, Charles had a better season finishing eighth with 98 points, but Sebastian, a handful, uh, you know, several retirements, but finishing outside of the points. In so many races, I mean, after the uh, the 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 Eiffel Grand Prix at uh, the the Nurburgring back in October, he only had two other points finishes. Uh, he finished tenth in Portugal, uh, third in Turkey, 
and uh, the, the rest, I mean, he's, uh, you know, in uh, at Imola, 12th, and Bahrain, 1, 13th, Bahrain, 2, 12th, and 14th uh, today, just, uh, you know, 33 points on the season. I mean, in the in the heyday of Seb at, uh, at Ferrari, I mean, that's, that's points haul for like maybe a weekend and a half of uh, racing. I mean, you would uh, not really expect to see that. And uh, I just uh, can't help but uh, wonder when it's going to turn around for them. Uh, I mean, just the fact that these cars are going to be in effect uh, duplicated again for next year. I mean, with some slight modifications and improvements and uh, developments on them. It's. It, I really struggle to think that we're going to see anything, uh, you know, better from them. And uh, it, it's you know, if you're a fan of uh, Vettel or Charles Leclerc, especially if uh, you're a, a Vettel fan, a Ferrari fan, I mean that that window of opportunity for a championship was in 2018, at least two thirds of the way through the season, and then I think uh, and Monza that year when he uh, collided with uh, with Hamilton on the first lap, that was kind of the beginning of the end because they went into the the, the summer break that year pretty close in terms of points. In, in the drivers' championship, Vettel comes out after that break. He he wins at Spa in in just a very convincing uh, you know form ahead of uh, of, uh, of Hamilton, and then it starts to go downhill from there. And then it's just fr- from that that sort of that last third of 2018. It just kind of really started to tail off. Last year was a year to forget uh, for them. It wasn't uh, the, the the best, and this year definitely a year to f- forget for for Ferrari. Regardless, uh, that uh, the the results have been a little bit uh, better in in recent times. But you know, despite the fact that. Um, you know, Vettel obviously had his issues, and the fact that that car was not uh, the, the the best. I mean, you look at all the different uh, you know results that uh, you see for for Charles Leclerc. I mean, he had a couple of podiums this year, but I mean the the the, the amount of point or times that he finished in the in the points was um, a lot more than uh, the, than Vettel. I mean, the times uh, Charles had three uh, DNFs, sorry, four DNFs. But apart from that, he had three races out of the points. One was in Abu Dhabi, another one was at Spa, and then the other one was in Hungary. All the other times, he finished well within the points. And But I just can't help asking the question, yes, we know that Charles is a very good driver that tends to get more out of a, a bad car than, uh, than than his teammate. We saw that at uh, at Alpha Spa, or sorry, Alpha Sauber, or whatever they called it a couple of years ago. And, uh, and obviously the Ferrari this year isn't as great, but I just can't help but asking myself that ever since it was made known that Vettel was not going to be brought back for 2021, you know, despite what they say publicly, I just don't have the confidence that he was getting the same level of support. It just, I mean, there's too big of a gap in what, uh, you know, the car that, uh, that Vettel had. I mean, he just complained uh, too many times that, uh, that the car just was not drivable. It just didn't have any grip. And I, I just don't know. I, I, I have to be convinced that he was given the, the, the same equipment as Charles Leclerc. I just, I'm not buying it is basically what I'm saying. I, I'm really excited for, and maybe it's us. I don't know. But I, I can't wait until somebody really patches together the story of Vettel's career. Yeah. You know, th- this is a guy who who finished second in 2009 and then ran off his four consecutive championships. He moves to Ferrari in 2015 amongst a massive fanfare. Um, he finishes third in 2015. In 2017 and 2018, he finishes second. But, you know, when, when I reflect back on his championship performances – I really feel like 2017 and 2018, you know, there, there was definitely some mistakes there amongst yep. them. Maybe the most notable was that start in Singapore, but 
ultimately, like it, it's crazy. Like if you look at his performances in 2018 and 2017, five wins, 13 and 12 polls, respectively, those were better performances than his 2010 and his 2012 performance. He had more, he had similar win totals, but he had more podiums with Ferrari in both those years than he did in either of those championship seasons with with Red Bull. And maybe it was ultimately just bad timing, right? Like you know, as 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 much as everything worked out for those first four titles, that the field was a little bit more fractured. There wasn't really a kind of obvious dominant number two and Ferrari was competitive in some of those seasons. Maybe it was just bad timing. And you know what? He just, he just happened to be with Ferrari in 2017 and 2018 when they had a phenomenal car, but Mercedes was just too good and nobody was ever going to touch them. But it's, it's crazy how quickly his, his championship contention kind of fell off. I, you know, 2017, 2017, he finished second, 2018, he finished second in a year where Bottas was very, very poor. And then all of a sudden in 2019, you introduce Charles Leclerc to that team and he drops to fifth and he goes from five wins and 12 podiums to one win and nine podiums. Um, and then all of a sudden there's just all of this, this noise about um, his performance and his kind of emotional state, his psychological state. But I really hope that you're right because I just, I look at his performance this year relative to Charles Leclerc, and I just can't believe that his physical performance could degrade so quickly. Like, we're talking two years ago, he was second in the championship with 12 podiums and five wins. Like, he can't have fallen off that quickly. And obviously, like, you look at the car this year, it's it's terrible. Um, the car itself is balanced for an entirely different power unit than what they're actually running. We know why that power unit is problematic, but I just can't believe that his performance has degraded so quickly. And to your point as well, like, drivers age differently now. They have completely different conditioning regimes. They have completely different diets. They're in the gym 365 days a year. Like, their their career should be longer. So I, I really hope that next year when he's with Aston Martin, hopefully he gets enough factory time during the off season that they can start building a car for him. But I completely agree with you. I don't think he was getting any support out of Marinello. Like I, I think they had washed their hands of him. They knew in the off season, they, they were confident they weren't going to bring him back. And as a result, I don't think they were spending the time with him. I don't think they were engineering the car for him. Um, I think they basically just roll the car out every weekend as a professional courtesy and let him go. And I think maybe some of that, his performance was kind of, Hey, emotionally, psychologically, I'm not being supported by this team. And maybe that kind of trickles down into his on-track performance. But I think he's still a much better driver than what we saw this year. I don't believe the delta between him and Charles is as big as it looks when you look at the standings. Because you're right, like if you look at the standings, um, Charles has a flurry of points finishes and he had a really great run um, from, I would say, the seventh race weekend to... Bahrain, the first race weekend there versus um, Vettel, who really had just that one highlight, which was that third place in Turkey and what was a pretty crazy race weekend. And ultimately, a couple of drivers scored podiums there as a result of Lance Stroll's bad luck. But yeah, I just I don't believe the Delta's as big as it looks on paper. And I think he was getting a fraction of the support that his teammate Charles Leclerc was. And hopefully 2021, and I, I, I think you would probably agree, like I'm a big fan of Racing Point, soon to be Aston Martin. Like I want them to do well. But if he doesn't perform and Sergio Perez does perform, the heat that will be on that team will be immense, will be immense. They won't be able to shake that off for some time. But that said, like I said, I just, I don't believe that in two years, his personal performance, his physical performance could have degraded that dramatically. 
Yeah, you know, you, you make a couple of really good points there. And kind of being around professional athletes, uh, you know, at an elite level, you know, I, I've seen it so many times when they get injured or, you know, they whenever they face some adversity, it's always like they mentally, they, 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 they always think there's a way they can work their, 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 their themselves out of it. You know, it's, oh, I need to do this or I need to train harder. I have to, you know, get different nutrition or I need to do whatever, right? And I think that when it comes to the end of their careers, I think some of them are less willing to admit it uh, sooner than others. So there, there, there may be a little bit with that with Sebastian Vettel, but I'm not convinced. I don't like, like yourself. I don't think that, you know, he's, you know, that he can drop off that, that quickly. Moreover, I'm not entirely convinced that, um, that, that it's all to do with him either, because I, I cannot believe that, um, somebody with the, 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 the business sense and savvy, as as Lawrence Stroll would would bring a guy in like Sebastian Vettel, just purely on the fact that hey you know we're going to get a four time uh, world champion into our team that makes us look legit. No, I mean of course that's part of it to to do it, but I mean Lawrence hasn't gotten to where he is in his own life and his own business standing in in the world just by making you know irrational and, and poor judgments. So I think that uh, you know there there is an element of risk bringing Sebastian Vettel to Aston Martin next year, but I think that uh, that they would have done their homework on that, and I think it's, you know, the, the risk is mitigated. I think it's more of a calculated risk, so it, it, un- undoubtedly he's going to bring a lot to the team, but if they needed to bring a guy to the team as an advisory, then they wouldn't bring a guy in that role and stick him in the car as well, so it, it's certainly going to be, you know, very, very fascinating uh, to, to, to watch, and, you know, I, I think the one guy that's probably really loving it is the, 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 the guy that's in the Second Aston Martin, <laughs> Lance, who you know at 22 right now is going to be partnered up with a four-time world champion next year. Thinking, oh my God, you know that this is this is the perfect time to me for for me to be partnered up with a guy at at, at my at this stage in my career and the age that I'm at right now. I mean, uh, Lance is uh, he, he? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to be the first guy <laughs> to welcome Seb to the factory on his first day with the new team. But I mean, uh, sort of joking aside, but uh, there there that really is going to be. You know, among all the different interesting threads to pull on for for next year, that is a particularly you know interesting one. I mean that that whole racing point, Aston Martin. Yeah, you know, there's so many different interesting things going on with, with with that team. I just I had to look it up right now because I I was curious because you'd mentioned earlier that Fernando's forty, so he's uh, he's thirty nine. He's going to turn forty. July 29th of next season. So he's actually pretty close in age to me. Uh, we all know Lewis is 35. This shocked me. Vettel's only 33. Yeah. Like I keep, just because he's been around the sport and he won, he won a race in 2008. Like it feels like he should be much older than he is. Mm-hmm. The guy's only 33. And, and I, I, again, I, I think in a, a lot of sports that might be kind of towards the tail end of your career, but I think Formula One has shown that drivers both past and present can be very competitive um, in their mid 30s. So I, I think there's every reason to believe that he could be successful next year. And I think you're absolutely right. Like I think for Lawrence Stroll, this isn't a prestige move. This isn't signing 
Sebastian Vettel because it's useful to have as a marketing exercise that I can go out and sell sponsorships because I have a champion. You know what? That's part of it for some of these middle of the pack teams, right? Like if you don't have a great driver academy and you're not going to be competitive, sometimes the best thing you can do is sign a former world champion that's at the tail end of their career because it brings some credibility to your team. You get some additional exposure and you can sell sponsorships. I think you're right. Like Lawrence Stroll is expecting to win next year. Like he he doesn't need the, the marketing exposure. He doesn't need the sponsorship dollars. He needs the best possible driver that's available to him. And I think if he's if he's embarking on this project of spending hundreds of millions of pounds building this works team and investing in Aston Martin as a road car division to enable him to kind of create this successful symmetry, um, I don't think he would be messing around with Sebastian Vettel unless he genuinely thought he was the best available driver. Um, and I think you absolutely nailed it. Like this isn't this isn't a marketing exercise. This isn't a prestige move. Um, this isn't Williams, you know what, kind of bringing in Felipe Massa because, you know what, he was a marketable star. This wasn't McLaren holding on to Jensen Button probably longer than they should have because he was a British champion. It was mm-hmm. easy to sell sponsorships in the UK. This is Lawrence Stroll saying he is a four times world champion um, who finished second in the championship three times. He's also the best available driver to help my project be successful next year. And I can't, I can't wait to see it. I just, I know that the backlash will be fast and furious if he's not particularly competitive um, or if Lance himself outperforms uh, Sebastian Vettel. But I think from, and I think you're right, like, I think if I'm Lance Stroll, I'm really excited that this is a guy that's going to be partnered with me is going to be in the factory is going to be in the simulator. Like, you know, I've talked about this before. Like, I don't think that the Felipe Massa Lance Stroll pairing was a good one. And, you know, there was comments from Lance Stroll at the end of that 2017 season that said, Hey, he was anything but a mentor. And I think Felipe Massa was also a little bit checked out at that point. Like he'd originally retired at the end of 2016. Mm -hmm. He was brought back because Valtteri Bottas left. I don't think he was super invested in being there, especially with an uncompetitive team. And I also don't think that Felipe Massa liked being compared to Lance, who was close to him in the constructors title that year. And then of course, in 2018, um, Lance gets stuck with a rookie driver and a horrendous team. He gets brought over to Racing Point in 2019. He's paired with Sergio and say what you want about Sergio, but I think he's a good team teammate, but he's probably not a great mentor um, for for Lance. But I think this is going to be a really great mentor. And I just think for Lance to be able to watch how he goes about his business, you know, what, how does he structure his preparation? How does he structure his planning? How does he spend his time with his engineers? At what time does he get to the factory every single morning? How much time does he spend in, in the simulator? Like this is an established champion like he didn't win one championship he won four and some of that's because he was racing with the best team that had the best motor but ultimately you know what it's not just that that helps you get across the finish line four consecutive times so I think for Lance like this is an unbelievable opportunity and I also think that probably played a little bit into Lawrence's decision making as well that hey this is probably the best way to help nurture Lance's development and I think we keep seeing these flashes with Lance like qualifying um, obviously in Turkey and the fact that he was close to a race win before he had some mechanical issues he scored a couple of podiums this year clicking close to a third podium Oh, I'm I'm excited for Aston Martin next year. I really am. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's one thing just before we go into our last break here. I just wanted to 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 mention is that the landscape that we're living in in Formula One right now is that the, the groundwork was laid by Michael Schumacher. He changed the way that drivers approach Formula One, 
And I've heard it mentioned so many times over the years that people that have worked both with Sebastian Vettel and Michael Schumacher, sorry, Michael Schumacher said that Seb approaches Formula One in in, in the same way. It was just, uh, and Michael, he approached it like a job. It wasn't just like show up at the race, get in the car, go out and drive or whatever it was. It was like an obligation. He put in the work and Seb, he does the same thing he puts in the, in the work, you know, so it's going to be very, very beneficial for everyone to have a guy like that uh, around. And um, just to finally, just uh, before we go, uh, go away here, it's just, uh, I I think that, um, and I know we've talked about it before, but I think we can really put that discussion about Lauren Stroll being in Formula One. I think we can put that uh, to bed now. I mean, he, he's here for the right reasons. It's just not another story of an extremely wealthy guy throwing his money around in uh, a sport with a lot of exposure because, you know, he can do, and he's basically, you know, just splashing money out. He's there for the right reasons. He's there to race. He's there to win. He's there to invest the money. And you can tell that he's going about it uh, the, the, the right way. Now, whether or not this is a team that uh, that can win races or win now win more races, considering that they got that one yeah, win yeah. under their belt, <laughs> that really is the, 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 the big question. Because uh, I, I think you really um, made a good point just now when we were talking uh, more about uh, – Ferrari v Mercedes and how that how just difficult that uh, whole Mercedes nut is to crack when you're a competitor and just how I think maybe it's maybe not really quite I'm sure it's acknowledged but maybe maybe not quite respected as as much or deserved as much uh, the recognition that Ferrari maybe doesn't get for those two years because I mean they really were the the, the only ones that have really come close in, in, in recent times I mean finishing second is still the first of the losers as uh, Ayrton Senna always uh, put it which I think is a wonderful quote but still I mean that that 2018 season was that one opportunity that uh, they had to really uh, talk about it anyways we should break away now for our final break and when we come back we should go back to where we sort of started the show at uh, and talk about the, the the silly season because there's a couple of seats up for grabs and we'll do that in just a moment here on the overtime media network so don't go away we'll be back in just a moment All right. Well, welcome back to the show. We are still breaking down the, well, we broke down the, the 2020 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, still going uh, and talking about some of the interesting talking points about it. And, uh, well, we were just talking about Racing Point before the break. And of course, the big thing that uh, still needs to be decided is what's going to happen to Sergio Perez. I mean, he's pretty much uh, come out and said that, uh, that a 2020 job or seat in Formula One is a lock. Uh, I mean, he hasn't hinted at anything more than that and nobody in the paddock has said oh yeah well we might know something about that nudge nudge wink wink um but yet uh, alex albon his uh, status at uh, at red bull is to be um, to be confirmed uh he's he himself uh, says he felt feels like he's done absolutely everything he can to 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 keep that uh, seat and i mean uh, in all fairness i mean uh, he's had a bit of a, a rough uh, season i mean he's had a couple of podiums uh, you know uh, most recently at uh, Bahrain won a couple of weeks ago but uh, since the, uh, the the race in Imola where he finished uh, 15th and then finishing 12th in Portimao and uh, retiring at uh, the, the, the the Nürburgring last four races have actually haven't been too bad for Alex he had a 7th in Turkey a 3rd in Bahrain uh, Bahrain 1 6th at uh, Bahrain 2 the Secure Grand Prix last week and uh, finished 4th uh, uh, today 105 points in the World Championship uh, you know ultimately 
I mean, he's, uh, you know, 109 points uh, behind his teammates. And uh, because of that, of course, uh, that's where all these uh, discussions are going to, to come from. I mean, we did have this uh, big uh, discussion, uh, you know, on, on the weekly show just a couple of days ago now. But just uh, <laughs> the more that I think about it and uh, the, the, the way that I look at, uh, d- despite the fact that we've seen some flashes from, from Alex Albon, d- despite the fact that, uh, you know, he's still a fairly young driver, the fact that, uh, you know, we've seen some some hints, some promise that, uh, that there might be something uh, there for, um, for, uh, for, for, for Red Bull. I, I just don't know how you, you know, can leave a proven driver like Sergio Perez on, on the sidelines when, when he's there. And I mean, the thing is too, I mean, um, you know, not that age has a big thing uh, to do with it, but Alex is a little bit older compared to some of his uh, contemporaries. I mean, he's, he's 24 compared to like 22 for Lance, 21 for Verstappen and stuff like that. So, I mean, he already always kind of has like uh, that for me, a feel that uh, he's at the age he should be kind of established in uh, in Formula One. I mean, uh, Perez, uh, he's a little bit older, 30. I mean, by by, by no means uh, over the hill in, in Formula One. I mean, uh, Sergio, I mean, he had, uh, for me, I think he had a really, really good uh, season. I mean, he only finished out of the race, uh, or sorry, out of the points once, and that was in uh, Bahrain 1. Uh, I mean, he did, uh, and that was uh, because of a late uh, retirement, but was uh, still classified. I mean, he, he missed those two races at uh, Silverstone, uh, you know, because of his uh, positive COVID test. I mean, here's a guy who had a solid, solid season. I mean, he had, uh, you know, and I think honestly, the last uh, several races have been among his best. I mean, he was on the podium in Turkey, wins Sakir uh, 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 2, or sorry, Bahrain 2, and then, you know, those other ones, Bahrain 1 and Abu Dhabi. You know, those are the the, the two unfortunate ones uh, for, for him. But I mean, it's a solid season. I mean, uh, most of the times he was well up in the points. He had a couple P10s in Belgium and Monza, but Monza was kind of topsy turvy anyway. So that, you know, they kind of kind of maybe put a star beside that one. But you know, like, like we talked about at some some length a couple of days ago. I just don't know how you can ignore a driver like that. Uh, I mean, I think you ignore him at your own peril. So Ted Kravitz, um, and and I love the buildup. I, I love that we're building to something here, especially as we've been talking about Alexander Elbon and Sergio Perez for so much so much for the past couple of weeks. But if if Ted Kravitz is to believed uh, or be believed, and he's now reporting, um, he's reporting that within the next seven days, Red Bull will announce that they are going to move Albon into a full time reserve slash test role with the with the principal Red Bull team, and that Sergio Perez will be signed. Um, apparently the delay was really due to two things. One, the team didn't need or want the added distraction of announcing this in season. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't a good play. It wasn't a good look optically. It, it wasn't sound, especially when there were so many things going on. Um, and really it sounds like Marco and Horner really had to work hard to convince Dietrich that this was the right move that Marco and Horner had very much given up on Elbon some time ago. Um, and it was really just a matter of convincing Dietrich that this is the right move for this team. And as it turns out as well, it sounds as though Ross Braun working on behalf of Liberty had been working very hard in the background to make this a reality. And ultimately, I don't think, I don't think Red Bull would ever make a decision based on what the FIA or what Liberty wants them to do there. I think they have too much internal too much internal integrity to to kind of allow somebody else to force a decision. But one of the reasons that this could potentially be very good for Red Bull, aside from what it could do for them on the track, is Mexico itself 
as it turns out, is one of Red Bull's biggest global markets in terms of a nation state consuming their product. Mexico is huge. So from a marketing tie-up perspective, this is a big news story. The, the other thing too is Liberty is very, very worried at this time about potentially losing the Mexican Grand Prix um, from the calendar. And if you, if you followed this at all over the last couple of years, the Mexican GP has really become a political hot button issue uh, within federal politics in that country. It's it's very much been seen as a unnecessary vanity project of the government and certain select politicians. Um, and as, as well as it's drawn at the gate, I think Mexican society as a whole has been very suspect about the costs associated with it, whether it turns a pro, pro or whether it turns a profit, whether it's necessary. Um, but the thought is that from a, a liberty perspective, they want to keep the race on the calendar. It looks good on TV. They want the hosting fee. But by having Sergio in the sport and with a very competitive team, it basically locks in and secures the future of that event as well, which wasn't guaranteed if he was racing with the Haas and certainly wasn't guaranteed if he was out of the sport. So this is not only a good thing for Red Bull from a marketing and profitability perspective, because they're going to be able to continue to grow their brand in that market. It's good for them on the track. And then ultimately it's good for Liberty and Formula One because they might be able to preserve a race that's become a fan favorite. It's one of my absolute favorite races to watch on TV. And, and I would go, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about the security situation in Mexico City. And for all of the Mexican listeners, they might be wanting to slap me on my wrist like, hey, it's better <laughs> than you think. Don't don't pay attention to all those uh, Mexican soap operas you watch on Netflix. But I think it's, it's good for so many reasons. Now, again, this is just Ted Kravitz reporting. Nobody else has broken the story, but he's suggesting that Red Bull will make the announcement within the next seven days. And like I said, Alexander Albon won't go to AlphaTauri, that he'll remain with the, the big team, but he'll remained in a test and a uh, re- uh, reserve driver capacity. So it'll be interesting to see that by the next time we get on the podcast again, maybe we can stop speculating and maybe it will be confirmed and we'll be able to be able to talk about it and then move on to some other exciting things just because the story itself, it was, it was a hot issue ever since it became clear that Vettel was going to go to Aston Martin Racing Point. And that story itself seemed to drag out forever. Week after week, we were talking about it within F1 circles. Is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? When is when is Racing Point going to finally announce it? And then they announced it. And then ever since then, it's what's going to happen to Sergio? What's going to happen to Sergio? And then when Sergio won that race last weekend, it just became like the, the, the boiler just exploded. Like, it was it was a hot button issue prior to that, but as soon as he won that race, it's just like you you can't have this race winner not in the sport next year. So sounds like that issue should be if again if Ted Kravitz is to believe, and there's no reason to suggest he shouldn't be um, within the next seven days. You know, it really is interesting too because uh, what you have then in effect is you have the uh, th- sorry the third and fourth place uh, finishers in the uh, the drivers championship uh, this year. I mean, talk about a big uh, drop off. I mean, we, we all know that Lewis was miles ahead of everyone else, you know, three hundred forty seven uh, points in the drivers uh, to seal up his uh, seventh world championship. Then you have Valtteri Bottas two hundred twenty three, the Max uh, Verstappen with uh, two hundred fourteen points, and Sergio Perez one hundred twenty five. I mean, he scored very very well in the in the racing point 
but I, I you know no disrespect to, to to them obviously but i mean that uh, red bull is a, a, a step further up the grid so will be absolutely fascinating to see you know should that uh, come to play and if it's coming from ted kravitz i mean i think that's uh, obviously a pretty legit uh, source i mean for, for yeah. those of you that uh, aren't familiar with ted you know, he's one of the contributors uh, to sky sports uh, f1 uh, you know often in the pit lane so i think that uh, if it's coming from him the uh, you know that he wouldn't be the kind of guy to sort of indulge or release idle speculation or something uh, to yeah. it so kind of makes me wonder if this is one of those things where somebody's had a little bit of a, a word in uh, his ear come on ted uh, you know this is all done you know go ahead and uh, you know leak this you know for those of you not watching yeah. the youtube uh, show right now i'm just doing the uh, the the inverted commas here so yeah it'll, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see but i mean it does kind of um tidy the situation up uh, nicely obviously you know dumping uh, Albon again in the middle of the season to bring in another driver that uh, doesn't look good because obviously Red Bull they kind of have that uh, you know that that look now is those guys that uh, you know aren't afraid to to pull the trigger you know mid-season to replace uh, you know somebody that they think is a uh, an uncompetitive uh, driver and I mean it's it's kind of uh, you know it keeps Albon in the system and it kind of keeps him close so you know he's still in a position to um, you know to, to to learn and take advantage of that, and you ha- also have to remember that you know the the, the next race is just under a hundred days from now. It's like ninety six days yeah. or something. Like uh, you know, I can't remember the exact total. So COVID isn't going away anytime soon. They've already said that bubble is going to be in effect uh, for the beginning of the season. And of course, as vaccines and the situation hopefully starts to get better sooner rather than later, we, we may see the, the the situation again where a driver. May have to uh, withdraw from a race because of a positive COVID test. I mean, you know, wouldn't be uh, it'd be ironic if it happened to Sergio Perez again. I mean, considering he missed uh, two races this year because of that uh, exact uh, reason. But uh, I, I think it it wraps that um, that that uh, situation up uh, nicely if you're Red Bull management because you know Max, you know that he's going to go out there and he's going to he's going to win races for you. You know that he's going to be a contender and you, you know he's a world champion in waiting given the right car and the right circumstances and that number two car just hasn't played out um, you know right over the past couple of seasons since uh, Ricardo left so they're trying to bring somebody up on a closer level and I think uh, by getting uh, Perez in that uh, really starts uh, to to close that gap I think he's going to be more like uh, well it'll be interesting to see where he is actually in terms of pace to to, to Max Verstappen I mean uh, you know we're, we're used to seeing Sergio in a less competitive car like a Force India or Racing Point but uh, you know I, I mean I don't think that he He's going to be pushing Max, but it would be close to see what that that delta between the two drivers is. And of course, as we mentioned a couple of days ago on the on the, on the weekly show, that you know we, we're going into 2021, which is Honda's last year in the sport, and um, you know they've already said that they're going to go all out. And it, it, I still can't help but wonder if there's been some you know some some polite or maybe uh, you know. Uh, no gray area in the messaging coming from Honda HQ in, in Tokyo saying, you know, we, we, we want a, a stronger driver lineup for, for our last season in, in, in Formula One. And, uh, you know, even though there, there might not be a, a connection with Sergio Perez, I mean, like I say, I, I don't know how you can overlook him, uh, you know, <laughs> but, you know, that just to kind of maybe build on that a little bit, uh, even though that, uh, that uh, next year is Honda's last season in Formula One, it really, really makes you wonder what's going to happen uh, w- with that uh, because uh, uh, you know 
uh, you know, I, Ferrari doesn't seem all that keen on the engine freeze idea, but uh, Red Bull isn't in a curious position. I mean, talk about a lot of storylines going into this winter, into this off season. That Red Bull in- engine situation for 2022 is uh, is a curious one. I know that uh, that 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 Red Bull, or sorry, yeah, Renault has kind of left a, a crack open in the door to maybe supply them again, or at least uh, potentially have discussions about it. Although, I mean, I mean, as far as uh, you know, talking about uh, breakups and marriages ending, <laughs> that was not a particularly good one. It just it just got kind of uh, you know. It just kind of worsened uh, over the years. Although, I mean, that's, that, that's started as far back as 2014, that first year of V6 tur- Turbo Hybrid. I mean, Horner was saying then, even though it wasn't as flat out critical and as, as nasty as it, it got in, in the later years. I mean, they were complaining back as uh, 2014 that, uh, that, that the, the, the Renault engines weren't as good as, uh, you know, previously uh, they, they were in the normally aspirated era. So like you said, Mark, plenty to talk about, plenty to look at uh, over the off season. And I hope there's a lot of drama. I mean, considering we got three and a half months to the next Grand Prix from from my point of view and your point of view and the show's point of view that that all of that would just be great show fodder for over the next (laughs) three months or so I completely agree I I don't think I have anything additional to add in terms of value I just I really look forward to the next couple of weeks and, and months this is my this is the time of year that's most exciting for me just in terms of the silly season and the business side of the sport and just how do these teams start to wrap their heads around the fact that we're still going to be very much in a pandemic for much of next year as they embark on a 23 race calendar yeah. just crazy and and the reality is we will probably start to see um some really significant spectator turnouts in probably the back half of the season as we start to see um the vaccinations begin to penetrate society in a, a meaningful way but yeah this is going to be a, a crazy off season it's a shortened off season simply because the season had to run so late because you need to find a way to fit in 17 races but it's going to be a crazy off season uh, at least 10 of the drivers will switch positions or be removed from the sport or will be new to the sport in time Entirely. Um, you have at least two teams that are going through a rebranding exercise. Obviously, Racing Points become, become the Aston Martin Works team. Um, Renault as well on a probably an equally important note, but probably less sexy, will be rebranded themselves. Uh, Renault will disappear from the grid next year. Uh, but yeah, I can't I can't wait to see how the next few weeks and months start to play out. I know, and uh, it, it is another fascinating uh, result or stat that uh, was mentioned over this weekend that since they got the F1 biosphere or COVID bubble, whatever you want to call it, in effect, they did something like 76,000 COVID tests, and they only had about wow. 75 positive tests for, for drivers, team personnel, and any ancillary uh, personnel that in the paddock and you know people like track workers and stuff like that. I mean, any time that uh, when you have like a... You a disease as serious as COVID, any one of those tests Mm. is a big deal. But out of all the tests that they ran, that only represents 0.1% positive uh, tests. So, I mean, if they've proven anything that uh, they, I mean, they're very confident about it once they got it uh, set up. I mean, there were a lot of questions, obviously, I think for everybody outside of Formula One, but they've proved that they can make it work. I mean, there were obviously hiccups uh, along the way, but uh, like you say, very much, we're still going to be in this uh, same position uh, come the beginning of uh, next season. And I was having this um, sort of this, this internal conversation with myself, uh, you know, earlier today, just kind of uh, reflecting on the fact it was the last uh, race of the year and all the things that we've uh, gone through right from the, 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 the shutdown 
and the, the the cancellation of the Australian Grand Prix, the factory shutdown, which was just uh, you know the, the the microcosm to the, the the global macrocosm and lockdown situations we saw everywhere, to the actual beginning of the season and the the, the seventeen races that we had. And I thought, well, yeah, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, Formula One is not important when, you know, you have like something that we've seen in terms of the pandemic and some of the horrible uh, social and and uh, political injustices that we've seen. But I mean, the thing is, and I think it was uh, it was mentioned, uh, you know, on, on the Sky broadcast as well, is it did bring a smile to peace, uh, people's faces. And, you know, I think that has value in, in, in a year that we've seen so many bad things and so many bad things have happened to so many people that it has been a nice temporary uh, distraction. Of course, it's a luxury. I mean, we, we've been able to. And of course, for the people in Formula One, it's their livelihood as well. So it has a value in that. Uh, and um, I've enjoyed it. And and therefore, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sad that the racing part is over. But like yourself, I'm looking forward to the next couple of months of, uh, you know, speculation and all the fun of the things that uh, go on, you know, that happen off the track. And it, it feels like it's a long time ahead of us, but before you know it, we'll be in the middle of February and we'll get to the winter testing. And then uh, once you get to winter testing, I mean, you can literally sit there and count the minutes down as you look at the clock. Cause you know, once you get to that test studio, that, that, like that, the, the testing that the, the, the first race of the season is literally around the corner and 23 races next year, sign me up. I, I'm ready to go right now. All right. Well, yeah, I, th- I think we pretty much uh, talked ourselves out, Mark. So we're, we're going to leave it at that. So, you know, 17 uh, races, uh, we've covered it uh, from, from end to end. And another positive thing is, uh, dis- uh, despite the fact that we've had all this drama and other things that, uh, that have happened in our own lives that, uh, that we've managed to, to put this thing together. And I'm looking forward to going into this off season and the next off season, you know, d- doing the show with you and all the cool things that, uh, that we've got planned uh, coming up. So we're going to be busy during the off season, uh, on, on a number of things on the back end but uh, as always if you want to get in touch uh, with us uh, do so on twitter at scuderiaf1 or email scuderiaf one pod at gmail.com we're also on youtube so hit that red sub button if podcasts aren't your thing or search us up on spotify apple Podcasts, anywhere else anywhere that uh, you are we are so uh, look out for us wherever that may be and that's it that's a wrap thank you very much for watching and listening and we'll talk to you guys again soon and that's it for us bye for now